episode 170 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 28th of March 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Before we get into it, I just want to let people know that you can now support us with Kofi, I think that's how you say it, or Kofi, and LibrePay. Some people have asked for it before. There's no perks like the ad-free feed or anything like that with those, uh, but there'll be links in the show notes anyway. So uh, some people don't like Patreon and stuff. So now you've got different options. Let's do some news then. And the first one is excellent news about the Mars helicopter. The original mission was pretty basic. It was just kind of go up there, prove itself. Well, it's turned out to do such a good job of it that with some software updates, it's now massively exceeding any expectations that anyone had for it. Yeah, this this feels a bit like they've completed the game on easy and then have done the special key combination to enable like insane murder modes on the game because the next bit is filled with jagged cliffs, angled surfaces, projecting boulders and sand-filled pockets. Cool. <laughs> also, what I really like about NASA is that they always over deliver you know they they already set what sounds like really ambitious goals for a project and we'd all be really happy with it and isn't it incredible and then they always seem to be able to say well we can do that but also we've already done 21 flights and now we're going to do a load more they say they're going to hopefully extend it until september 2022 this year so maybe a bit more as well I swear NASA just does this deliberately. They've done that with loads of mm. rovers and stuff, haven't they, where they give it an operational lifetime and then it ends up doing about 10 times that. In fairness, though, they do owe us that the bit where they mixed up metric and imperial <laughs> measurements and went shooting into the atmosphere of Mars the last time. I was so bitter about that microphone that I could have heard it with. At least we finally have that now. But <laughs> I think what's smart about this one is that it did achieve its goals very quickly and now they can have fun with it. They can risk sending uh, an update, which it doesn't come back from because it's done its job. And so now they can take a few more risks, like sending updates across however many miles it is to Mars is a very, very risky strategy to, to push updates if it's working fine. So rather than just say, you know what, we can continue to operate this thing, they go, no, we're going to add new features to it. We're going to get it to work even harder, even longer. And if it goes wrong, we'll still have had you know our, our money's worth out of it. It's a really good strategy. I love it. I think I said this last time, but what's great about this is that the better it does, the more likely we are to see Linux happen in future projects, because this was kind of the proof of concept of that. And NASA as an organization moves very slowly in terms of adopting new technologies. So you would imagine now that it's kind of on the radar of the uh, the people upstairs at NASA that Linux is a serious contender. Yeah, and they've got a proven over-the-air update system, which is working really reliably. It's good news for Linux. All right, more great news. The first Asahi Linux Alpha release is here. That's great. This, of course, is the Linux distro for M1 Max that, Phelan, you said wouldn't happen. Brilliant. No doubt you're going to trot out the same bollocks that you normally do about how oh, Apple are going to shut this down any day now. Oh, no, no. I hope, I hope they wait a bit longer until they've wasted even more time on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary and I have been trying this, and we talked about it on Linux Downtime episode 43. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So uh, do check that out if you want to hear the full experiences. But uh, this is great. I mean, it is still a proof of concept at this point. It is very alpha. It's essentially Arch that's a little bit broken in terms of no sound and stuff. But it is a fantastic technical achievement. Now, clarify this for me if you can. Do you require to leave 
Makos on that box. Yes. Forever then. That is my understanding, yes. So we have to constantly ask Tim's permission to use this machine the way we want to then? Not necessarily. Uh-huh. If you want to update the firmware and stuff, then yes, you have to boot back into macOS, but you have to leave enough macOS there to get it to boot into Linux, but then you can just, in theory, just turn it on, it boots straight into Linux, and then you just do your Linuxy stuff. Okay. After running Arch on an old MacBook for a long time, it was always useful regardless to have a working macOS um, for when things broke and be able to at least get to some kind of recovery mode. So even though it's a compromise, I think that's an okay compromise. Yeah, and there's no hardware acceleration for the graphics, but thankfully the M1 chip is so fast that you don't really notice, even with GNOME. It got quite warm and the battery life was a bit shit, but all the GNOME animations were fine and stuff. It's, uh, it is really powerful hardware. So uh, I, I don't know, Graham, you've got a really fancy one of these Macs. You haven't done this, I presume, because you don't want to risk it. Not yet. I'm really open-minded. I would do it. I think, I don't know if I've mentioned in the podcast before, but I have been using Linux on there almost exclusively under a VM. Um, and I find the performance in a VM just incredible. Um, and it works really well. And suspend and resume works. I always joke about it, but it works really well <laughs> in a VM running on macOS. So I will do. Um, I'll wait and see what happens. The graphics acceleration, I think I'd need, even though I mostly use the command line, it'd be, it's always nice to have that. Um, working smoothly but it's an amazing project i think it's incredible what they've been able to do i don't know why i'm so harsh against it but i just i can understand if you need a mac to use you know particular software you just can't get anywhere else and that that seems reasonable i just if people are exclusively buying this to use for linux and there's so many other companies out there the likes of you know system 76 or enterware you know all these companies out there that you know if you really want a linux machine you should really get one of those instead, I think. But yes, I do see the fact that if there's these are eventually going to like go in landfill at some point in the future, and there's already an OS to go on them, yeah, that's good. But I don't know. I guess I just feel a bit feel a bit weird about it, and I'm miserable. <laughs> no, I, I do. I I do sympathise, failing. I do have lots of other Linux machines as well. I don't want to like support Apple and say, but I just I just like the form factor and I like the performance and quality trade offs. But you have you have a legitimate use case because you have software you can't actually use anywhere else on it, right? It is part of it, but it's it's I like the whole battery life and performance thing as well, and the screens I like and the touchpad. Surely you can just bring an extension cord wherever you go and plug in. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't feel great about it, <laughs> but I try and compensate by supporting other Linux hardware manufacturers. <laughs> um, and well, to be honest, I also like having all of the things. Like I've got a Windows 10 machine as well, um, and I like seeing what everybody's doing just to be able to have an informed opinion on things. Well, yeah, I bought my M1 MacBook Air, which turned out to be for a really good price, <laughs> partially to try out Asahi Linux, but also just to get an idea of what these Macs are actually like and what macOS is like. And it turns out macOS is shit and I hate it, but the hardware is great. And it's become my sort of go-to machine for a couple of things. One of which is like when I finished working, if so I finished editing something, I, t- I turn my main PC off and I just sit with the Mac t- and watch YouTube on it and I can take my headphones off because the speakers are so good on it. Hmm. And it's nice to to get an idea of what's going on in technology land and not just be 
you know, using some old ThinkPad with uh, Libreboot or Coreboot or whatever, and, and just you know, this, this is from an XFCE user as well. Like you'd think I'd be into that, but I don't think we have to go to extremes of using a Libreboot ThinkPad from 1997. Like <laughs> I wasn't quite going that far, but yeah, I mean, yes, I can see all those points are valid, and you know, I, I would never tell him to try and do what I do because the reason is I wouldn't touch it because in case it's really nice mm. and then I have to go back <laughs> to my normal machine I'm not going to live in that world it just I can't I can't accept it like so um, no as a KDE user you would not get on with Mac OS man no way no probably not you just you can't configure anything hardly on it that you know you'd yeah. be like where's the 10 options for this oh just stop lies no just because you picked from those 10 or 50 options about 10 years ago and then never changed <laughs> you still made those choices once upon a time well that's because they were valid yeah whereas good luck making any fucking choices on a mac os machine like i said i hate that os i just do not get on with it just silly things like you can't plug it into an external monitor and only have the external monitor on unless the laptop's plugged into power and i, I talked about it on twitter as well do people who use Macs rename files obsessively or are Apple just doing it wrong? Because that file manager, like you, you press enter, it goes to rename it instead of opening it. Just everything that you do seems to want to fucking rename a file. Graham, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I thought he was going mad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been that way for a long time. I guess I just accept it. Um, and I don't use Finder very much. It's pretty awkward. Presumably, you can get other file managers if you pay for them. Probably. I mean, the thing is, iTerm is a really great terminal emulator for macOS. I use that for mostly everything. Right. So almost like the Linux solution to it. Yeah, very much. <laughs> the OS is just a functional shell. Um, I think I said it before, I use it mostly for audio. But it's also nice to have a break from what I usually use, and I spend all day running KDE Neon, it's nice if I want to do some music or something to just use something that isn't the same. And maybe, maybe I don't want to say it doesn't have the configuration options, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't need to. I don't need it to do anything other than, you know, load a few screens up. You're probably more app-centric then in that case. It's almost like a yeah. series of single-use functions, but just happen to be applications. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true, yeah. Yeah, and I would love to hear the speakers on your fancy MacBook Pro I don't think they're as good as the older MacBook Pro, which yeah. seem to have more bass response. Right. I've only got the 14-inch. I've just been away and we used it as like our music system in, in the um, Airbnb we were staying in. And it was fine, but it wasn't as good as the old one. You'd still be better off with a £50 external Bluetooth speaker, I think, with reasonable bass. Should we just arrange it on a series of open pint glasses and it'll, that'll boost it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. 
So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. All right, well, we have to talk about this. There were a couple of posts on Reddit over the last couple of weeks about the interview process to go and work at Canonical, which is where you work, Graham, and where you used to work, Will. Canonical haven't confirmed or denied it, seemingly. I don't think Canonical have said anything publicly about it, but uh, there's been enough people confirming it that I suspect that this is not false. And it is this gigantic fucking email asking all sorts of questions about tell us about your high school experiences and tell us about what Canonical could do better and all this. And they, they ask you to write like half a book. And, and this is just like step two of five or seven or something. It just seems like a nightmare to get a job there. I, I don't expect you two to say much about this, uh, you know, perhaps diplomatic silence or uh, whatever. But uh, I thought we have to talk about this, even if it means just me and Phelan laugh at you two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the most common feedback that I've seen from, from mainly ex-canonical people is that those people would never have got a job at Canonical if this was in place when they applied. That's a very common thread throughout. My reaction to this, and, and I left way after this was, um, oh, sorry, way before this was introduced, my reaction to this is that, well, one, uh, I think that the people behind this process are probably quite happy that it has stirred up some some interest in the community and, and been rejected as a terrible idea because they will see that as validation of keeping <laughs> out the hoi polloi and only having their sort of precise, uh, crisp uh, hiring strategy. And my other reaction to this is that it seems strongly skewed to younger people. And I don't for a second believe that it's an ageism thing, but I do believe that it's a ploy to bring in people who have not been in the industry for very long, have not formed their own opinions, have not formed their own ways of doing things, and who are, uh, you know, moldable into some kind of corporate robot that Canonical <laughs> wants them to be so that they can tell them what to do and they will do it without question. That's my impression. I mean, it is truly epic. Uh, like, epic proportion stuff here and like things about high school like yeah i think you're right it, it is either they're looking for somebody young or somebody who was amazing in school which i that was certainly was not me um i i just wouldn't have the inclination or effort to be putting into something like this it's just it's too much effort for too high a risk i don't know if i can comment directly on the canonical side of this but i will say that in general i think hiring is broken everywhere I don't know of a good example of what's been done. I mean, I've I've hired people and I've hired people that have gone on to be really successful, but that was at a much smaller scale than what Canonical try, is trying to do. It's trying to hire for dozens of roles if you look at the website. But I've I've found almost the opposite to be true in that trying to understand somebody at a personal level um, works, at least in my past. And for big companies, I don't know. I don't think I've seen anyone do it in a way that I think, yeah, that's a great idea. I think that works well. Yeah, I did see a lot of discourse about how Facebook is no better than this and probably worse. But I just like, what kind of person would want to go through all that bullshit? Like, you're talking about a day's work to write this fucking half a book, like I said, just to get a job. Like, that's not how shit works. 
I think perhaps that's the point, right? Is that they don't want chances to just wang in a CV and then tie up engineering managers time reviewing everybody who knows how to operate a computer and has put a resume together. And I do see quite a bit of value in that having hired multiple people over my many years. I spend an inordinate amount of time filtering out all of the crap. And it's a really depressing, boring and wasteful job. So if you can stop those sorts of people applying, I think that's a good idea, frankly. But the fine line is, of course, that you end up alienating all the the people who feel that this process is unfair or too much effort or just not worth going through in the first place. And you will, what do I know, but I think you'd lose quite a lot of uh, really good candidates. Yeah, especially as my understanding is there is a labor shortage generally in this industry. And so surely you want to make it a little bit easier to find people. It smacks of arrogance to me that you're expecting people to go through all of this when there's loads of jobs available. See, the thing is, though, what happens when, you know, of all the top five, six companies you want to work for are all kind of doing something similar? I mean, it might not be exactly the same, but... It could be several days worth of interviews that you have to try and take time off of from your previous job and try and apply for. I mean, I don't think any of that is easy. No. And what worries me with that is that it you only get a certain kind of person who's capable of going through that. And that doesn't help with diversity or inclusivity or it doesn't help you broaden the people that you want to work at the company if that's something that you're trying to do. Well, yeah. And the, the talk about the university stuff as if you have to have a degree. And that, that's my understanding. To work at Canonical, you have to have a degree. Well, that like that, what kind of bullshit is that, man? Like That cuts out basically all working class people in this country. And as a working class person, I find that to be discriminatory bullshit, quite frankly. And I'm not the kind of person who does well with having a job. I tend to say the odd word that you shouldn't and uh, it doesn't work out. <laughs> but, you know, I could probably do some shit for Canonical. And, you know, I'm, I'm sick of them getting bashed, I tell you that much, and people saying Fedora's the new Ubuntu. Fuck off. No, it isn't. Come back to me when Fedora's got millions and millions of users silently just getting on with their job with it. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I could be a great advocate for them, but they're not going to hire me because I haven't even got a degree and I am fucked if I'm writing an essay this long for them with all these stupid fucking questions. But maybe it is to keep the riffraff like me out. (laughs) And I think I always say this, but what I'd love to see is data. You know, if this is something that Canonical's experimenting with, or if it's what other companies are experimenting with, it'd be great to see if it's effective, if it actually results in something that is a positive for the company and for like solving the great hiring problem. Because who knows? I don't know. I don't have a better idea of how to filter out people or, or, or find the best candidates other than spending even more time on a one-to-one basis with everybody who applies. My view is that a a covering letter is generally a good idea. I think somebody who's willing to write a covering letter explaining why they want the role and how they're suitable for it is good enough. I don't think you need 50 pages of of exams to to do that. Yeah, I think uh, a good portfolio on the likes of GitHub or GitLab Mm products that you're involved in, all those sorts of things. I think that's the best way to get involved and let people see who you really are. Yeah, well, looking at Glassdoor, it looks like Canonical's a pretty cool place to work, so it's uh, it's obviously worth going through all this. (laughs) 
Well, there's going to be an Ubuntu desktop team in Dubai on April the 22nd, so uh, in a few weeks from now. And uh, Mark Shotworth is going to be one of the guests on that. It's Indiba is like like a Q and A session type thing. It's a live stream where you can ask him questions and uh, also some other people at Canonical. And uh, you can submit your questions in advance, or I think you can turn up. So maybe someone will ask him, uh, "Hey, Mark, what, what's with that uh, hiring thing?" And maybe he can clarify it. But we'll have to see about that one. But I'll put a link to the uh, thread on the Ubuntu Discourse about that with all the details, so you can. Join in and uh, make sure you stick to the code of conduct, though. Just a quick update on MDN+. Plus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is Mozilla's WebDocs project. And, Graeme, you were very skeptical of their monetization strategy, but I think you have to eat your words. I think I was right. Yes. I'm glad I'm wrong. I hope they, I hope they continue to make the right decisions. <laughs> and, yes, so you're right. It doesn't look like they're make, putting things behind a paywall. They're adding to the experience of people who want to make a contribution and not holding back documentation from us all, which is a good thing. Yeah, they're adding features like being able to view it offline, bookmark certain pages, watch for changes, all stuff that you could script yourself, but they're just making it much more convenient for people and also creating a source of revenue to hopefully make it sustainable long term because that was something that came up last year wasn't it that we were worried it was going to just die and i think this is a, a good solution to that yeah and if that plus five or support or 10 level that they have if if enough people you know if they have a set band or they say past this point we're now making a bit of profit if that if that's a realistic sort of remuneration that they've got going on there, then yeah, that'd be fantastic if we could do that because we can't get the VPN over here anyway. I don't think, but it looks like the uh, certainly Ireland and I think even UK and a fair quantity of European countries are going to be able to do this, just not quite yet. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. Entroware sells computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They've got a range of desktops, laptops, and servers, and most parts are configurable, so you can pick the CPU, RAM, and storage that's right for you. If you can't find exactly what you want, then do contact them, and they'll work with you on a bespoke solution that's perfect for your needs. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of their machines, there's a little drop-down at checkout, and you can select late-night Linux so they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. And thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's also uh, Coffee and LibrePay now. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for links to all of that. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that RSS feed is this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark with occasional early releases if I get them edited quickly enough. And look out for Linux After Dark this week. There's a kind of medium-term review of the framework laptop that Dalton has been daily driving, and it's uh, mixed, let's just say. So that should come out in the next couple of days for patrons and on Sunday for everyone else. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. Ocular, first eco-certified. What's this? So we brought up last time, this would be the goal of making more eco-certified software. And literally the day after we recorded, Ocular was awarded by the Blue Angel Group. 
Mm. Um, so, yeah. Blue Angel, this is really not a great name, but maybe in German it sounds less odd. Um, Scientologist. <laughs> Blauengel, would it be? It is, yeah. So I was just doing a bit of translating it on the fly, thanks to our Canadians last episode. That's even worse, Blau Angel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was rewarded because of a transparency in energy and resource consumption, extending hardware life and enabling user autonomy. So, I mean, pretty much the FOSS ideals there, in fairness. But uh, the thing that I thought was quite cool is the fact that Ocular is in the Android, F-Droid, Flathub, Snap, Microsoft Store, and then obviously in any main repo for any Linux OS. And I thought it was quite impressive that they're in all of those places. What is Ocular for the uninitiated? Oh, it's a PDF viewer. I should have brought that up first. I mean, yes, it's not exactly cutting-edge software, but it is a very useful thing. So I seem to recall hearing that you can fill forms in and stuff properly. Yeah, you can. And it's been getting better and better. And there's there's things like note adding and things like that. It's it's quite a decent PDF viewer. Um, I used it actually only last week while I was traveling for my PDF tickets to load up the, the barcode. I did my print. I just could not get my printer to fucking work. So I, I took the PDFs and said, oh, hell, I'll just risk it because I've never used the, the QR code on it or the sort of 2D barcode they have. And uh, yeah, it worked like charm. It was digital all the way. So isn't K itinerary for that? Yeah, but I don't think it actually stores the barcode. And I, I need to investigate it because I want to log it as a feature request otherwise, because a lot of the flights, you need to show your ticket barcode that comes in the email. Yeah. And while it can read all that, turn it into proper user information, I'm not 100% sure it can actually display it back out again. Uh, it seems like a missed opportunity there. I know. All right, work on Qt6 progresses. Yeah, so about uh, two weeks ago or so, um, Volker Krauss had a, a good article about the work that Frameworks has done to get ready for QT6 and to get Plasma 6 out as well. Uh, they're doing a lot of stuff like converting Plasma.eng and stuff to normal QML modules. Uh, Plasma Commons 2 has gone over to QT Quick and they're getting all the progress for Plasma K Wayland done as well. And with all these things that are coming together, the... Kate team have also got their stuff compiling on QT6 now as well. I mean, they're not all perfect quite yet, but what they have been doing is they've been putting a lot of CI stuff for the frameworks work to happen, and they want to work on Windows next as one of their next targets that they're trying to do. So it's good to see that it's starting to progress towards QT6 because, yeah, I mean, QT5 is on sort of maintenance mode only, really. Yeah, and the Qt company is not exactly making it easy these days with their licensing bullshit. No, and I mean, I think it's probably fair. I mean, it'd be good to get everybody onto QT6 anyway. There's obviously improvements all the way. So uh, uh, as long as they don't make a, a bags of it as they're doing the upgrade, uh, it should be all right. All right. What's some KDE items of interest from Wikidata data reuse days? Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful of a name, but we made note of that the last time where some of the team that evolved at K-Itinerary and various other apps we're uh, looking at all the government data that can be reused and wiki data sort of pools that all together. And there's various things that they've learned from that during the last two weeks that it was on. Uh, things like language models. Uh, Scribe is one example of that where they're talking about multiple languages for different second level keyboards. If you've got different languages and Sonnet, which is a plasma mobile virtual keyboard, could probably take a lot of use of some of that data. But there's also things like Open Food Facts, which is one of the sites too, where they could link to allergens of uh, various foods if you're if you're intolerance or whatever, and things like uh, different barcode standards. And they've got some other tooling that Wikidata have themselves, where they can look for conflicts of data or you know 
incorrect data for people to work through. So I think there's loads of data that's available to us. Not everybody's always aware of what's there. And yeah, I think they, they really help out trying to find that out. And I think there'll probably be some talks of that available for, on video that people could watch later on as well. All right, and a couple of uh, Nate's weekly updates you've linked to. Yeah, there was just a couple. Um, there was one new feature which I fell afoul of ages ago, which drove me mad. Um, if I was on my laptop and I tipped my thumb off the touchpad, it would put the icon onto the desktop. KRunner has this feature where if you then start typing, it'll automatically open up with that data in there, and then I would hit enter. And then God knows what happened about 15 different apps that open up for whatever that sentence happened to include and it tried to make sense of. Uh, so there's a tick box coming to disable that, which would be quite good. And another thing is Discover is now going to have the Stallman-esque uh, quote characters of risks of a proprietary software around whatever you install. So, I mean, yes, maybe it's a good idea to highlight these things if people are installing the likes of Teams or whatever. Um, that you highlight that too, because obviously Flatpak and Snap is available in there in Discover as well. So probably a good idea to highlight it, not make too big of a deal out of it. But yeah, it's there as well, as like like they have an Eftroid. Um, he also highlights the the bugs. So yeah, unfortunately, I made the choice of checking before. So the good news was they were from eighty one to seventy six. I checked and it's back up to seventy eight. So clearly, the fifteen minute bugs is going down but also back up each time so depending on when you check they're doing better um but it you know they keep working on it so that's good and the last bit is uh the recent documents will be coming up to a free desktop standard which means your gdk or no maps will all sort of sync up with the proper data so that's a good thing sharing across the desktops he said through great teeth uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right well links to all that in the show notes then we better get out of here. We'll be back next week when we'll have some discoveries and some of your feedback, probably. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.